there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Uh, we're going to continue with our series entitled The War Within. If you're visiting here or haven't been around for very long, uh, we're in this series where we're talking about, for the Christian, uh, the, the biggest battle that you'll ever face. And it's this war that we all have going on inside of us to do the right thing uh, as we battle sin. And we, and we call that the war between our flesh uh, and the spirit, the, the war between our old nature uh, and our new nature. And uh, we have all lived that war. Uh, we're living in it now, uh, and we will live in it until the Lord calls us home. Um, and so we're going to continue on that vein today. Uh, to open up with, I, I don't know how much of the Olympics, uh, the Winter Olympics that you've been watching. I, I haven't watched a lot this year. The only thing I've really paid attention to is curling. Um, I don't understand how they score it, but I just love to watch uh, curling. And I, I was watching it the other day, and they did this special um, about Michaela Schifrin. Um, if you don't know who she is, uh, she is a downhill skier, uh, and she was favored uh, to win the gold in the downhill slalom race. Uh, expectations were high for Schifrin. Um, she's widely considered the greatest alpine skier in the world. Um, she had had 73 World Cup victories and was a three-time World Cup champion. And so she was considered to be a lock to win the gold medal and the downhill slalom race. Now, this is an event that she spent her entire life training for, but it was an event that was over very quickly for her. On her first run, she fell just five seconds into the race. And so I want you to think about this for a second. All that training, all that sacrifice, all that hard work was over in five seconds. This reminds me of the battle we've been talking about for five weeks now. The battle we have going on inside us between our spirit and our flesh. All that praying, all that dying to your desires, all that time spent studying God's word, all that time coming to church week after week after week, and we can still lose to our flesh in a matter of seconds. 25 years of marriage can end in a matter of seconds with just one flirtatious look that leads to an affair that just implodes the relationship. 20 years of sobriety can end in a matter of seconds with just one drink. 15 years of living a life of integrity can be lost with one wrong comment spoken out of anger, spoken in the flesh. Failures in our flesh come often and they come on quick. And so this morning as we continue this series, I want to begin to answer a very important question. We're not going to get the entire answer today. It's going to go a couple more weeks till we, till we get a full picture here. Um, but I want to begin to answer this question. What do I do when I find my flesh winning? 
Like I hear all you're saying, preacher, about the battle between the spirit and the flesh, and I should do this, but when my flesh is winning, when I can't seem to do the right thing, and, and I fail over and over again, and it's quite apparent that I'm losing this battle with my flesh, what do I do? And I would say this, it's not a matter of if your flesh will win, it's a matter of when your flesh will win, because we're all going to have failures in our walk with the Lord. We're all going to have setbacks in our lives. When I became a Christian, I, I thought that when I gave my life to Jesus, that he would take away the desires of the flesh, that I would no longer be tempted, that he was just going to kind of wipe my slate clean and, and kind of wipe my mind clean, and, and the flesh was going to have no power on me. And I learned very quickly that that wasn't the case. You're going to fail. There are some things, though, that we can do when the battle is raging and we find ourselves on the losing end. And so with that in mind, I want to offer you two suggestions this morning. Two things that you can do when you feel like your flesh is winning over the spirit of God that resides in you. All right. And so I'm going to jump right in. Number one is this. When you feel your flesh winning, stop and declare your freedom. Let me say this again, because this is so, so important. When you feel the flesh winning in your life, stop for a second and declare your freedom. I want to take you to Galatians 5. This is the chapter that we have started every week with. Paul is writing this beautiful letter to the Galatian church. And in chapter 5, he's addressing this war within, this battle between the flesh and the spirit. And he says this, and picking up in verse 16. But I say walk by the spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other. Now remember we've been saying there's a lot stronger language in the Greek. It's they're at war with each other. And the reason they're at war with each other is the next statement. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. And then verse 18. But if you are led by the spirit... You are not under the law. And so for, for five weeks now, we've spent a great deal of time springboarding from verses 16 and 17 and the first part of verse 18. But I want to focus on the last part of verse 18. Because here's essentially what Paul is saying in this passage. He's saying, hey, there's this great battle that we all face if, if we have Jesus because our flesh wants to pull us back into sin. Um, there's this battle between the flesh and the spirit, and you've got to walk with the spirit in order to win. Now, we've spent the last two weeks kind of talking about what that looks like to walk by the spirit. Well, in verse 18, he's saying, now, if you're walking by the spirit, if you're following his lead, there's something I want you to remember. And the thing that he wants us to remember is the very last statement when he says, you are not under the law. Now, what does that mean? It means you're free. So in order to kind of understand this a little bit better, I want to talk to you about the book of Galatians to take kind of a, a wider angle view as to why Paul wrote this, uh, this letter to the Galatian church. 
Um, we know it as the book of Galatians. It's simply a letter that Paul wrote to a church that he planted. Uh, the church was undergoing some problems. So he wrote this letter. It was given to church leaders. They would read it and it would be passed around. And it became part of the canonical books of the Bible. Uh, but it was a letter written to a specific group of people known as the Galatians. Now let me tell you what had gone on there and what was going on. Because the whole theme of the book of Galatians is freedom in Christ. You, have, you are free in Christ. You are free. You are free. When you read it, just look at how many times Paul uses that word, free or freedom. Well, in this church, you had people that came into the church who believed in Jesus... But they also said in order to be a true follower, a true Christian, you also had to follow the law. Okay, now not just the Ten Commandments, but all 613 of the Levitical Old Testament laws. All the dietary restrictions, all the Sabbath laws, all the purification laws, all the circumcision customs, all of it. You, you had to follow it all. And if you didn't follow the law, then you really weren't a Christian. So their theology is what we would call Jesus plus. All right. It wasn't enough. Jesus, the redemptive work of the cross, wasn't enough to save you. You needed Jesus and you needed the law. All right. Now we do this all the time. In the church, and I don't know if we know that we do it. I'm not sure Elevate does it, but the, the universal church, you know, uh, the, the big body, we do this all the time. We tell people, listen, you need Jesus, and it should stop right there, right? But it doesn't. You need Jesus, and you better not dance. You better not listen to secular music. You, sure, you certainly shouldn't have watched that halftime show at the Super Bowl. You, you better not play cards. You better not watch R-rated movies unless they're about Jesus, then that's okay. But it's Jesus and something. Or, hey, you need Jesus, and when you find him, you should dress this way. You should talk this way. You should act this way. You should only read the Bible out of this translation because it's the only one that's authorized um, by God himself. And if you don't do that, you're not really a Christian. Jesus plus. And so there's this word that we've been throwing around, I, I think, lately. And I think it comes from a bunch of bloggers living in their mom's basements that think they're theologians. But <clears throat> what, what it is, is if you don't agree with somebody theologically, you automatically call them a heretic. Oh, that, that guy's a heretic. Oh, he's a heretic. She's a heretic, right? Um, and I think that's a very misused word. However, in this case, I think it's a very appropriate word. Jesus plus anything else you put, put in that, that box equals your salvation is heretical. It's, it's, it's a lie straight from the pit of hell. The blood of Jesus Christ is all we need to be saved. Jesus plus anything else is heresy. Now, so I want to take this a step further. So I want you to see what this church was dealing with. So you had these people coming in saying, oh, yeah, you're a Christian, right? Well, I saw you break the Sabbath, and you're not following this law, and you're not doing this. And so I'm not really sure you're a Christian. It began to divide the church. And Paul said, listen, you're devouring each other over this. And so he writes this book about freedom. But to take it a step further in the Galatian church, these people that infiltrated the church had essentially said, Listen, here's how you handle battling the flesh. The only way to defeat the flesh is to keep the law. 
If you just keep the law, uh, the, the flesh will never win. You're never going to have any problems. Well, there's a huge problem with that. And the problem is this. It can't be done. It's, it's like looking for a dead bird in tall grass. It is impossible to do. You cannot white-knuckle your way into winning this battle over the flesh by just simply trying to change your outward behavior. You will lose every single time. The law will not prevent the flesh from taking over. Paul said as much in Romans 8. Romans 8, 7, he says this, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It's not in your flesh, in the nature of your flesh to obey the law. It, it, they're, they're opposed. It's not going to work. Um, so l let me ask you a question. Just, just show of hands. Um, how many in here are cat people? Anybody cat people? All right. I, I'll pray for you. Um, how many of you are dog people? All right. So we all have cats and dogs. Um, it, how many of you allow your cat or your dog to, to sleep with you in, in the bed? Yes. I had a dog in my bed last night, and it wasn't my wife. Uh, so <laughs> I would be the dog in that relationship, right? No. Well, we had a dog in our bed, right? So, you know, you can sleep with a dog or a cat because they're furry, they're cuddly, right? And you can hold them to them. Nobody in here and nobody that I know of would ever bring a 14-foot alligator to bed with them to snuggle with, right? Why? Because you're going to get eaten. Um, alligators aren't friendly towards humans. You can't tame them. You, you can't control their animal instincts. And so you, you, the net result is you're never going to be able to bring one to, to snuggle with in your bed. Nor can the law tame the flesh. In the Galatian church, people were being taught that to be a true Christian and to, to win this battle over the flesh, they had to keep and use the law. Here's the problem with it. They failed miserably like we all do in the flesh. And that same law they were using to defeat the flesh was pointing condemnation on them every time they broke the law. So you go back to the text in Galatians chapter 5, verse 18. Paul says, listen, if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Do you know what this is? This is a declaration of freedom. Paul says, listen, you're not under the curse of the law anymore. You're under the grace of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is a big guy, and he, ex he has a lot of grace to extend to people. When you had your salvation experience, Christ freed you. You are free and need to declare that freedom. But you still go to battle, don't you? Every day we go to battle. 246 years ago, on July 4th, 1776, a group of people got together and they declared their independence. They declared their freedom from, from the British rule, right? We celebrate it every year with American flags and we shoot all fireworks the 4th of July. We celebrate this freedom in our nation. So the Declaration of Independence was, was signed on July 4th, 1776. So I want to ask you a question. When did the Revolutionary War end? 
September 3rd, 1783, some seven years after this Declaration of Freedom. And, and what I want you to see is that first they declared themselves free and then they went and fought the battle. And the same thing is true of Christianity. The redemptive work of Christ on the cross saves us from our sins. God declares us free. We believe it. And then we fight for the battle for the freedom that we've already obtained. And so every person who's walked in here, first service, this service, and every person that's watching online, I want you to understand this. It is not... Once I get over my addiction, or once I get over this failure, or once I get over this sin struggle, or once I let go of this regret, once I conquer that, then I'll be free and maybe Jesus will have me. No, 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 no. It's I can't get over this addiction. I can't get past this failure. I can't get over this sin struggle. I can't let go of this regret. And I need Jesus. And so you accept him as your savior and as your leader. And he frees you. He rips the chains of sin off of you. And then he empowers you with the Holy Spirit who will walk with you through that addiction, through that failure, through that sin struggle, through that regret. This is the type of freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. This is why Paul wrote this letter to the Galatian church. There's a freedom in Jesus. And if you have him, you walk out of here with the promise that you're free. If you don't have him, you can walk out of here free today if you let Jesus do all the work. Now, listen, don't get me wrong because, you know, someone's going to, cut a snippet of this and put it on the internet and say, I'm a licensed preacher, just do what you want. I'm not preaching, just do what you want. But I'm telling you, just because you are saved doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. It doesn't mean you're not going to sin anymore. It, it, it just means our sins are paid for. Amen. Now, the flesh is going to come back, right? And it's going to try to imprison you again. It's going to try to wrap you up and, and get you off kilter with the spirit. So you declare your freedom. You put on your armor. And man, you go to work. And along the way, you're going, to, you're going to fail. You're going to stumble. You're going to sin. You're going to mess up. But you, the law no longer has the authority to condemn you. You live in the promise of Romans 8, 1 and 2, which says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death and so if you find yourself struggling and the flesh is winning man one of the great things that you can do is just stop for a second and declare your freedom over the flesh now let me give you a second piece of advice the second thing you can do is decide your stance. Decide your stance. So we've been talking about this for, for quite a while here. There's this war going on inside of us, right? It's the battle of our lives. And, and let, me, let me echo this again. If you're not saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, there is no battle. The flesh has won. You're living and you're walking in the flesh. But for those of you who are born-again Christians, you've got this battle. And it's the battle of our lives. When you battle... You better have a proper battle stance. 
So think about the time Paul wrote this. They didn't battle with nukes and, and machine guns. They battled with arrows and spears and swords, right? And you had a different stance. If people were shooting arrows at you, your shield went up here, all right? If somebody was coming at, with you at a sword, you stood this way. You had different battle stances. When you feel like your flesh is winning this war, that you're failing in the flesh, I want to offer you three different battle stances. Um, and these aren't mine. Uh, there is a, a, a great Christian writer. He was actually a pastor in China named Watchman Nee. And um, he was a leader when, communi- when China became communist. And uh, man, just read his story. He spent the last 20 years of his life in prison, all right, just for preaching Jesus. He died in prison. Well, in one of his writings, he wrote a book called Sit, Walk, Stand. And I I, want to use that this morning. I think this process will help you when you find yourself in the days when the flesh seems to be winning over the spirit. Sit, walk, stand. Stand. These are three battle stances that we can take against the flesh. Let me talk about the first one. Sit. And just remember that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Ephesians 2, 5, and 6 says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, when the flesh was winning and, and, and we were unregenerate, when, when sin had made us numb and we were dead, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raises us up with him, seated us with him in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. And so when the battle is raging and your flesh is winning, take time to just sit in the physical. Sit with the Lord, lift up the situation to him, dwell on him, Take it to him in prayer. And listen, don't miss this because this is the most important part. And then just be quiet and meditate. Those of you who are Elevate Lifers have heard me preach on this a lot, but it's the art of listening in your prayer life. Not just praying to God, but stopping and listening for God's voice, listening for him to answer. So I'll say this, and I think we would all agree, nobody likes a blabbermouth. All right, maybe you have a friend that you can never get a word in edgewise, right? Like you maybe go to lunch with them or go to their house, and the minute you're in their presence, they just start talking and talking and talking and talking, and and you can't get a word in edgewise. Um, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you have a friend like that, because that friend may be sitting next to you. If you don't have a friend like that, Maybe you're that person. I don't know, right? But we've all had that friend. And so you're done with this conversation with them, and you've maybe said two or three words. Most of the time you're going, "Mm, yeah, right, mm mm-hmm, right? And, And you don't get to speak. Nobody wants a friend like that. I feel like for the majority of Christians, this is how our prayer life is. And we're the blabbermouth. We sit down. And we just spew everything that we want God to bless. Sign off on this. Bless this. All right. Amen. And also, we'll throw that in there. And forgive me my many sins. Amen. And we just never sit and wait and listen for God. If you're struggling in your prayer life, it may be because you talk too much and you don't listen enough. Sit and listen. 
Now listen, I realize it's been said that when we talk to God, we're praying, but when God talks to us, we're crazy. I don't believe that. Personally, I think it's far crazier to pray without expecting God to speak back. Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. We have this great promise in Jeremiah 33, 3, where God says to us, call to me, pray to me, call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Sitting in the stillness and waiting to hear God's voice. The greatest example of this, right, in the, in the Bible is probably the prophet Elijah, the Old Testament prophet. So Elijah was a prophet when being a prophet wasn't profitable at all. Um, prophets had a very short life expectancy. And the reason they did is because Israel at this time had this wicked king named Ahab. All right. And Ahab was wicked, but he married this woman who was just, I mean, the embodiment of wickedness. Her name was Jezebel. Okay, Jezebel's not a flattering name. You're not going to name your daughter Jezebel because of this Jezebel, right? Like it's just be like naming your son Hitler. Come over here, Hitler. You're not going to do that. So, so we we we've got this picture of this wicked queen Jezebel, and I find it funny. In a lot of the drawings, they kind of draw her like kind of the wicked witch of the West or something. Um, I don't. She was probably beautiful. Kings didn't marry ugly women. They married the fairest in the land. But man, was she ugly on the inside. And so she married Ahab, and she began to systematically deconstruct any type of worship towards Yahweh God, all right, and began to replace it with idol worship of a pagan god known as Baal. Well, it, I, I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but there's this confrontation that happens up on a mountain between Elijah and the prophets of Baal, uh, and, and they were going to see who could call fire down from heaven, and then we would know which God to, who was the true God. Um, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. So the prophets of Baal get up there, and they start chanting and praying and om and doing all this kind of stuff, and it's not working. So they begin to cut themselves and bleed out, and they're doing all these crazy things. And I love Elijah because he's a little bit like me. He's got some sarcasm about him. And he begins to mock them. I mean, go back and read this. Uh, he, he basically says to them, well, maybe, maybe Baal's not coming to bring fire down because maybe he's in the bathroom. He's stuck on the toilet. He had some bad sushi. I mean, read it. That's what he says. He's, maybe he's in there relieving himself. All right, and so it doesn't work. So Elijah gets up. He prays to God. And long story short, he calls fire down from heaven. It's this huge altar, and he has it soaked drenched and the fire comes down it burns up the altar it burns up the water uh, everyone turns on the prophets of Baal they're executed it's this great spiritual victory then the flesh takes over because Jezebel says I'm going to put a bounty out on this prophet mark my words by this time tomorrow he'll be dead and so what does Elijah do he runs he's scared He's terrified. He runs into the wilderness. His flesh takes over. He even says to God, just kill me. I'd rather you kill me than Jezebel. Just, just kill me. After this great victory, and God says, sit right here. I'm going to say something to you. I'm going to speak 
to you. And in the story, or in the event, God sends this tornado, man. It's ripping trees out of the ground. It sounds like a freight train. There's all this noise of a tornado, and the, and the, and the noise ends, the tornado's over, and God didn't, or Elijah didn't hear God speak. Next thing that happens, Elijah feels the earth begin to shake, and uh, rocks are tumbling down the mountain. You've got this great, loud earthquake, and then it's silent, and God didn't speak. And then he sends this fire, and it's just everywhere, and it's this loud fire, and God didn't speak. And then as Elijah's just sitting there waiting, there's this gentle breeze. In the Hebrew, it's translated a gentle whisper. And it was there in that still, small voice that God spoke to Elijah. Listen, when the flesh takes over, Sometimes we sit. That gentle whisper that spoke to Elijah will speak to you. Listen, and and you may call me crazy. You're not going to be the first and you won't be the last. I have lived this. I have lived this. Most recently, last Christmas. When I was in the battle of my life and I, and I was crying out to the Lord, I was doing that praying and listening like, what is going on with me? I don't, I can't understand why I'm feeling this way. I can't understand why I have this angst towards everything. What is going on? And I sat there. And in that gentle whisper, and you know, because I opened the series up this way, the Spirit said, it's because your flesh is winning. So sometimes we sit. We don't do all the talking. We listen for God. Second stance that we can take is we walk. We walk. Walk by the Spirit. Now, we just talked about this for the last two weeks. So if if you're new or you missed those two weeks, go back and listen to it because it's, it's talking about how we can keep in step with the Spirit. So let me take a different approach. I'm going to borrow something from Bob Millsap's teaching. Here's what he said, and I love this. One way to walk with the Spirit is to put your flesh to work for God. I love that because your flesh wants to do its own thing. Your hands and your eyes and your ears, they want to do things they're not supposed to. So why not turn it around on your flesh and say, I know you're kind of winning, so I'm going to put my hands and feet to work. I am literally and physically going to do ministry. I'm going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. There's an Old Testament illustration I would point you to of one of Israel's great kings, David. Um, David was a king that scripture says he was a man that was after God's own heart. All right. And so let, let me sidetrack for a minute. And David had miserable failures in his life. I mean, his flesh took over. And so if a man who sought after the heart of God is going to struggle with the flesh, don't be surprised if you do. Okay. And so one day David was out on his balcony He's kind of looking around, surveying his kingdom, and something caught his eye. A naked woman taking a bath. And he, instead of turning the other way, he just lingered. And he watched. And the flesh came alive inside of him. And then you know the story if you grew up in church, right? He sent for her to come to the palace. When the king sends for you, you don't have a choice. And so there's Bathsheba, and they have this illicit affair. 
Strange thing happens sometimes when a man and a woman have an affair. She got pregnant. David panics because under the law of Israel, both he and her should have been stoned to death. Right? So he panics, so he tries to cover it up. He was married, she was married. And so her husband, he has, David has him murdered, has him killed. All right, so you have this man after God's own heart who had this affair, got this lady pregnant, tried to cover it up, and even had, was involved in murder. My question is, why did this happen? Why did this happen? My answer is because David wasn't walking. I want you to see how this opens up. Go to, go to 2 Kings chapter, chapter 11. Here's how the story opens up. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. So David was supposed to be walking to the battle. But he didn't. He sent Joab. He sent his general. Okay? And all of his servants and all of Israel... And they ravaged the Ammonites, right? and they besieged cities. Look at the last line. But David remained at Jerusalem. David should have been walking, but he was remaining in Jerusalem. In fact, we miss this when we look at this story. He, he wasn't just in Jerusalem. He was just lounging around. Look at verse 2. It happened... What time of day was it? Late one afternoon. He's like a teenager who doesn't get up till 3 o'clock, right? Late one afternoon, he finally arises from his couch. He should be in the battle. He should be walking. But he's just lounging around, eating Doritos, drinking Mountain Dew, playing Xbox, and binge-watching Netflix, right? Uh, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, there, I mean, if you do it all day, every day, you might have a problem. But So this is what he's doing. And then he went walking on the roof of the king's house, and he saw from the roof a woman that was bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. So he's laying around all day instead of walking to the battle. When he should have been out working for God, he chose to stay in the palace. And the rest of the troops were on the front line in the battle, and David found himself on this roof, rooftop. He wasn't working for God. A great battle was taking place, but he was not involved in it. And so a great battle stance to take against the flesh when it's winning is to walk, to put our flesh to work for God. Look what Paul says in Romans 6, 13. He says, do not offer any part of yourself. Some of your translations are going to say any parts of your body. All right. Do not offer any parts of yourself as an instrument of wickedness. In other words, don't use your hands to do wicked things. Don't use your eyes to do wicked things. Don't, you know, you know what I'm talking about. But rather, offer, offer yourselves, your body, to God, to those who have been brought from death to life, or as those, excuse me, death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. I'll, I'll say it this way and I'll move on. It's hard to sin when you're sitting there studying God's word. It's hard to sin when you're out witnessing 
to the people in your community and where you work. It's hard to sin when you're sitting in a lift group with a bunch of other Christians. It's hard to sin when you're volunteering to help your neighbor with their kids. It's hard to sin when you're helping a widowed old lady. It's hard to sin when you're sitting and celebrate recovery. It's hard to sin when you're actively engaged and involved in ministry and you're walking the walk, not just talking the talk. Put the flesh to work. So sometimes we sit, sometimes we walk. And then finally, when the flesh is winning, sometimes we, the only thing we can do is stand. Stand firm in your faith. After you've done all you can do, simply stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in the promise of Psalm 73, 26, which says this. My flesh... And my heart may fail. And it's not a may, it will, right? My heart, my flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And I wish you would stand firm in that promise this morning. When your flesh is winning, when it is just pounding on you, sometimes you just got to stand firm in your faith. In the uh, Revolutionary War, there was a Scottish-born captain named John Paul Jones. He was the most able commander in the American naval fleet. And he fought against impossible odds and won. He became a, a revolutionary hero. There was this one event when his ship was so badly damaged that he, he thought it was over for him and his crew. Uh, he was surrounded by two British warships, and man, they were just firing at him at will, but he didn't give up. Things got so bad for him that they expected him to surrender. His parts of his ship were on fire. His parts of his ship were sinking and waterlogged. And in those days, in the Revolutionary War, if you were an officer or a person of rank, you were extended courtesies. And so the captain of one of those English ships that had him surrounded offered John Paul Jones residence or safe harbor. Just you can come aboard the British ship if you would just surrender. Now understand, he could have saved himself. He was in danger of losing his life. His ship was sinking. Parts of it were on fire. He had men dying. He was under attack by two different ships. Yet... He cried those words that have become very famous. He said, I have not yet begun to fight. And with renewed vigor from a sinking ship, he sunk one of the British enemy ships and managed to board and overpower the other English ship, capturing a great victory. I have not yet begun to fight. What about you? What about your walk? What about your battle with the flesh? Have you begun to fight? Or are you content just sitting on the sidelines, sitting on the couch with David, eating bonbons and playing Xbox and not engaging, not using your talents for the Lord, not serving, not witnessing, have you begun to fight? Man, listen, this is the battle of our lives. You're free. 
I'm free if we're in Jesus Christ. Now it's our obligation to go out and free other people. To witness and tell them that Jesus can break those chains. And they can declare freedom as well. Ephesians 6.11 says this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.